it really does help you get through to have a positive attitude and to try and just put one foot in front of the other. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 22, and today's guest is Paula Schneider, CEO of Susan G. Komen. As you might know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I'm very happy to have Paula as my guest. Some history on this wonderful organization. In 1980, Nancy G. Brinker promised her dying sister, Susan, that she would do everything in her power to end breast cancer forever. In 1982, that promise became the Susan G. Komen Organization and the beginning of a global movement. What was started with $200 and a shoebox full of potential donor names has now grown into the world's largest nonprofit source of funding for the fight against breast cancer. To date, they have invested more than $2.9 billion in groundbreaking research, community health outreach, advocacy, and programs in more than 60 countries. Their efforts helped reduce deaths from breast cancer by 40% between 1989 and 2016. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Paula Schneider, the CEO of Susan G. Komen. Paula, thanks for joining me today. No, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's nice to uh, uh, catch up with you. It's been quite a long time since we have, uh, we've spoken. Uh, we worked together a number of years ago at a company called Warnico. At, at the time, you were president of the swimwear group, uh, which included the Speedo brand, and uh, I was running the e-commerce business. So uh, how have you been? Oh, well, you know, it's only been about, what now, 13 years since then? <laughs> so I've been well, thank you. And, and I'm uh, really, really happy with this career change because, you know, my background was in fashion and I did it for many, many years, many, about 30 years in the fashion industry. And although it was great fun at the time, I you know just got to the point where I decided that I wanted to make a more meaningful change. And I've been here at Komen for about three years, and I, I think it's the best career move I could have possibly made. That's wonderful. Let's kind of go back to your early days, uh, what I'll call the first story. Uh, we like to get a little bit of uh, background on, on each of the guests. Um, oftentimes, we find that uh, you know, what you do in your career, maybe later in your career, some of that is uh, kind of grounded in the way you grew up and, and school that you went to and other personal experiences. So give us the story of Paula. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't in the school that I went to, but it was in the personal experiences. I, I went to college in Chico State, California State University in Chico, and, and that was, and I went there literally because it was the number one party school in the nation at the time. So that was, that was my motivation. It wasn't for going to college. And it was certainly fun and it lived up to its reputation. But, uh, and then entering into the, the fashion industry where I stayed for a, you know, um, decades. And that was always very interesting. And if you value interesting experiences, that was a, a good place to have them. 
And uh, then again, it was about three years ago that I made this wild left turn into something that I'd never done before, which was the the not-for-profit space and specifically in, in breast cancer. About 14 years ago now, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, you know, my mom died of metastatic breast cancer. My brother died of metastatic prostate cancer. I had breast cancer and I have two daughters, so enough said. You know, that's why I made this move because I really truly believe that it's a passion play for me. And it's a, a very important organization that's had its fingerprints on every major breakthrough that's happened in breast cancer. And if I don't want it to go to the next generation, this is the best possible place for me to be. Well, that's, that's amazing. And we will absolutely come back um, to that. I, I do want to just go back a little bit to that, you know, long career that you had before uh, you came to, to Komen. Um, so lots of apparel uh, businesses, you, you mentioned, uh, BCBG, uh, laundry, Warnico and, and Speedo, as we mentioned, and then American Apparel. So maybe just walk us through the the kind of the progression, just briefly, and then we'll we'll come back to uh, the most important work that you're doing today. Yeah, I kind of break it out into three parts. There was the growing part. You know, I was at BCBG. I sold their first dress, and, and um, I've known Max Azria. He's recently passed away, which was really sad. But I knew him for many, many moons, and and we he he. Uh, used to be a buyer for a clothing store and then he came in and used to buy from me and then I started selling for him and we forged that and it was a really interesting time where it was building right so there was a lot of building went from zero to about 250 million when I left there and um, I ended up going to Warnock uh, Laundry by Shelley Siegel and Laundry was owned by Liz Claiborne Corp. And that was a bit of a turnaround. And then that sort of started my world in turnarounds. But BCBG was a long stint. It was a 13-year stint. And uh, then laundry was a bit of a turnaround. And that started the turnaround side. And, you know, it's amazing how once you've done a turnaround and it's been successful, how other people call you to do turnarounds and hope that they are successful. Um, left there, went to, and, and when I say left there, there's usually about six years in between each of these left there's. Uh, spent about six years at Laundry. Then I went to uh, Warnico Swimwear Group. And interesting, you know, at that point I thought, oh my God, how can I go from contemporary fashion to swimwear? That's such a wild turn. Well, it wasn't that wild and, and um, had a really good run at Warnico Swimwear, but that also was, you know, working on something that needed to be stabilized and turned around and um, had a fabulous time there. And had the opportunity to go with Michael Phelps to the 2008 Olympics, and I gave. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. It was round. It was that time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of my coming out party because I was at Mornica when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, and you know it was the year of living dangerously. And I used. To, I remember I had my office was on the second floor of the building, and when I was in between treatments, I would go to work because I wanted to feel as normal as you could try to maintain. And I would make myself walk up the stairs. And if I couldn't walk up the stairs to the second floor to go to work, because, you know, you're so exhausted, I wouldn't let myself go to work. So that was um, a really trying time. Uh, and I remember I finished off my chemo and my radiation. And, and then right after that, my, you know, the doctor said, you should take a few weeks and recuperate. And the next day I left for Europe, you know, and then went right after that to, um, to uh, Beijing for the Olympics. And that was a really, really great time, of course, um, because you know you were, it was a moment in time that was epic in history and I got to be a part of it. I got to be there, which was the most important part. 
I remember there was a uh, there was a luncheon uh, at uh, Warnico in New York City after the Olympics, and Michael was in, and there was a a luncheon table set up, and he was on one end of the table, and I was on the other, and he wanted to reach across the end of the table to get something. And he started to say, would you please pass me? And then he realized that his wingspan was so long, so <laughs> wide that he just reached you know, across a six foot table and picked up the piece of bread that he wanted to get yeah, himself. He has a seven foot wingspan and he's, you know, what an athlete and an amazing young man. Really, really lovely. Right. So you you um, uh, you, you mentioned uh, you know Warnico and then and then Speedo and then you had this role at American Apparel and that was a turnaround by the yeah. time you got there. <laughs> oh yeah, that was like it was a publicly traded company that was in tremendously bad shape. And um, literally, we when I walked through the door in January, I think we had enough money to last us to April, and you know ten thousand employees ish. And you know the largest uh, manufacturing plant in the United States for apparel. So in Los Angeles, we had a million and a half square feet of, of manufacturing facilities, and it was it was really tough. That was a very very tough time, and it was very prolific. And it was part of pop culture in LA. And you know there was a very colorful founder who uh, was not at all happy about being replaced, and there were union issues and you know I mean you you name it it went on there so it was a bucket of crazy um, and I ended up taking us through a planned bankruptcy because you know we needed to shed debt because there's no way that we could continue and uh, that took about almost two years you know that I was there and then after that uh, we were owned by a group of hedge funds basically and you know there's there's another whole story then after a while, when they decided that they wanted to sell the company and it wasn't going to take the employees, I, I tapped out because my legacy was not going to be to have all of these jobs that I fought so very hard to keep um, not be there anymore. So I left there. Then let's talk now the jump to uh, Coleman, right? Well, there was a, a median jump in between there. I, I you know, consulted for a while and I actually consulted for Kanye West for a while and that was fun. Uh, very interesting. And then I worked at um, Seven for All Mankind, which is another publicly traded company, and I was their CEO. And that was interesting. Um, but, you know, I was I was literally losing the love and feeling because retail was really hard. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't the fun days that it used to be. It's, this was the start of the decline of, of, you know, department stores and just retail in general, difficult times. And I remember I went to, I was invited as one of the top female retailers in the country to go to the uh, Women in Retail Conference that's in Miami. And it's a, a fun conference because it's right on the beach in Miami and you get all kinds of swag and you get to talk with all your friends. And it was, it was really a good time. So I went there and I had to get up and give a speech and they wanted, you know, it was supposed to, it was a women's group and it was on empowerment and I was supposed to relate it back to retail or to, you know, the, the world of retail. And, and I literally had nothing. So I got up to give my, my spiel and I got up and started to talk about how I was the most empowered when I was the least physically powerful when I had breast cancer and all of the ramifications around that of having to, when you're large and in charge and having to give up control and let people help you. And there's some grace in that. And you have to learn how to accept help. And Luckily, I had support in the family and all of that that could help me. Um, but 
I sat back down after my, my speech and my friend uh, who was the CEO of, of Chico's at the time um, said to me, okay, look what I just got on my phone. It's a friend of mine who's a good friend of mine who's a recruiter in Dallas and they're looking for a new CEO for Susan G. Komen. Would you ever be interested in that? And I said, hmm, yes, I would. She said, oh, oh, I mean, she was so shocked, the look on her face. And she goes, I think, okay, I'm gonna tell him, I have found you. And it wasn't quite that simple. There was, there was like months of uh, back and forth. And, you know, and I was telling the board at that time that look, I have never been in the not-for-profit and the charitable space before. I think I'd be awesome at it. But if you find somebody who's better, it's way more important for you to hire whoever's best for the job than it is for me to take this job because your organization is so important. And um, you know, they felt that I was best for the job and, and it's been a really wonderful experience. But you know, when something comes like that and hits you on the head, I did have to quit my job, my other job before I even had an interview because you know, if you're running a publicly traded company, you can't do that. And so, you know, I told my husband, I'd like to do this. And he said, well, I think you should go for it. And I said, yeah, but I have to quit my job on Monday. <laughs> and so I did. And whether I had an interview or not, I just reached a point in my life where I wanted to do something that was just more meaningful to me. That's outstanding. So um, during your experience, uh, your personal experience with breast cancer was uh, the Coleman Foundation, the Coleman Organization, something that you relied on for services or inspiration or what? Well, for education, right? Because, you know, the first thing you do when you get a diagnosis is, is um, you know, Google, Dr. Google. And one of the first things that came up was the common website. So I could look about breast cancer. There's an ABC site on there that has all, you know, and it's, and it's very friendly, right? You know, you're a lay person. And even though I had breast cancer in my family and knew a bit about it, you don't know a lot. And I just wanted, you know, some, somebody that would tell me it was okay. There's also a helpline that we provide. I didn't call the helpline at that point, but you know, now knowing what we do, I wish I had, um, because it, there's there's so much help that is available, and we want to make sure that people don't go through their journey alone. So you 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 must talk to you know lots of uh, both women and men who have been diagnosed with uh, breast cancer or other forms of cancer. What's the first one of the first things that you say to them? You know, knowledge is key. Right. There's two parts to, that I feel learn about it. Right. And, and learn about it from reputable sources, because once you understand this is happening to you, as soon as you get a breast cancer diagnosis or I'm sure any type of cancer diagnosis, you, you fall into a black hole. You can barely hear what anyone is saying after those first words are spoken. And you don't know, you know, what, am I going to live through this? Will I be able to see my children Will go to, let, I don't know, from kindergarten to get married or whatever it might be? all of the fear that comes into your realm and it's hard to control. And the only way to make it better is to be able to digest it, understand where you are with this and, and what treatments are out there and what is the best move because you have to be the um, CEO of your health and you have to demand uh, that you get the best health care that you possibly can and if you need a second opinion, and, th and this is not easy stuff, right? It's not easy to understand. And 80% of people that get breast cancer are not going to a teaching hospital that's, you know, that's top of the line and understands every ramification, every aspect of specifically breast. Many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people are going to their local oncologist in their, in their small city or their medium-sized town. So it's not easy. 
um, and you have to navigate through it. But you know, do your homework as best you can, but do it with reputable sources like Coleman. Um, you know, if you have questions and you do get a diagnosis or anyone in your family does, call our helpline because we have psychosocial workers that are very trained that can give you a lot of things to ask your doctors to help you through transitioning through it. And then I will say the flip side of this, the other side of this, which I personally think is tremendously important is to believe, right? You have to, you have to really believe that you're going to be okay and that you're working towards it. And sometimes it won't turn out that way, but it helps you get through. It really does help you get through to have a positive attitude and to try and just put one foot in front of the other. With all uh, types of, of cancer, early detection is critical, uh, mm-hmm. certainly in, in breast cancer. So what can women, even men, be doing from an early detection perspective to monitor their health? Well, women have to go get their mammograms. I mean, that's, that's as simple as that. And anyone who feels any kind of unusual finding in their, in their breast um, needs to, you know, go to your doctor. And especially right now, it's so scary, right? Because, you know, when, when, when COVID first started and we, we came out as common and basically said, hey, give it a minute. If you have routine screenings, wait a second. Let's, let's get through this moment and figure out what that's going to look like. And um, now, you know, we are telling people you need to go for your routine screenings because you know what? This isn't going away anytime soon, but cancer is not canceled. Some statistics are showing that there's about half as many cancer diagnoses now. That doesn't mean that there's half as much cancer. It just means that people are not getting diagnosed and it can be life-threatening. So time is of the essence, regardless of what you feel. If you feel that there's something incorrect in your body, then you need to go get it checked out because you know it, it probably um, way outweighs the risk of, of getting COVID. And hospitals right now, um, and you know, and mammography clinics, etc., are working very hard to keep everyone safe. Take your shot and getting your your, your mammogram. Uh, the statistics, you know, show that significantly more cases, uh, obviously, of uh, of women with breast cancer, but uh, men are afflicted as well. Um, so, how do you get the message out to men um, who, you know, many of us probably don't think, you know, much about breast cancer? Yeah, well, you know, it it happens to men. It's only about it's about four five percent of men that get it versus women, right? The other ninety five ninety six percent, but it's still a number. And if you feel anything, especially if you feel a lump or, or something that mm, just doesn't feel quite right, you, all you do is get it checked out. And by the way, a lot of times doctors won't be that hip to it, right? And just so demand, you know, hey, can you just make sure? I just want to make sure because I've heard that men get breast cancer and they do. Um, you know, and men also carry the, the, the gene mutation, and which means a higher propensity of cancer for themselves and for any of their offspring. So. You know, you're, there's, there's vulnerability and understand that there is, and this isn't a women's disease, it's a disease. And you just have to make sure that, you know, you take care of it, whether, wherever, uh, whether you're male or female. So, you know, this, the, the theme of, you know, my podcast is around marketing. And uh-huh. although, you know, you're a charitable organization, a big part of what you do is related to marketing, getting your message out, uh, yep. fundraising. So talk a little bit about the marketing of the brand of, of Susan Coleman. Yeah, you know, there's, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of times um, in, in previous years, there's been a lot of pink. I mean, my background that you can see right now is pink and sort of shiny and pretty and but breast cancer isn't that. 
you know, breast cancer is anything but shiny and pretty. And our, um, our campaign that we have for this year is called Moments. It happened sort of organically as we were trying to figure out, okay, we can't really go out and shoot our own campaign right now because of COVID. So we ended up hooking up with two different photographers that literally chronicled, they both chronicled their wives. Um, one was a husband and wife that um, were a photographer that chronicled the wife's journey. And one was a husband that chronicled his wife's journey that had ultimately passed away from it. And she had gotten in a couple of years after they got married. And it was, it, it, it literally shows the moments. And there's, there's one literally heartbreaking picture that is of a father sitting on the bed looking at his daughter who's in the hospital bed. And you know he feels so unbelievably helpless because he can't take care of his own daughter. Um, you know, so we want to like sort of tear back the curtain on these moments. And when everyone else leans out, we lean in. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot we do with marketing. Uh, there's a lot we do with donor segmentation and how we market to donors. It's very sophisticated because there's many people that care about research, but there's many people that care about community health. There's people that care about our African-American initiative, which everyone should, which is where 40% more, if you're black or you're white, if you're black, you have a 40% higher mortality rate. And that's just on the average. And in some cities around the, the country, and these are major cities, um, the, the rates go up to like 70, 80% more likely to die. And that's just unacceptable. And that's getting people to the care that exists today. So it's telling the story so that people will be aware that this happens. Um, we don't spend uh, uh, any kind of you know, major money on advertising or marketing, but what we do, we do have a lot of in-kind so we can get the, um, the information out there. Um, and that's been really important for our lifeblood. So the, uh, it's interesting you were talking about the segmentation you know that goes on to donors. Uh, it gets more sophisticated. Me being a direct marketer, you know, uh, starting my career um, and not ever having worked for a charitable organization, but seen some businesses, it, it it's gotten much more complicated of how you target people, especially digitally. So is you know the digital aspect of talking to people an important part of of what you're doing? Yeah, digital and direct. Direct still, even mail, regular mail, is still a very important part of what we're doing. And it's, we call it sort of surround sound, right? Because there's the digital side of it, there's the direct side of it, there's if you, you know, and then if you hear any, all, all of the ways that we can contact and have touch points. Um, because you may see your piece of mail that's sitting on your counter, and you know, you may open it, and, but then you might go online to, get to donate, or you might see it on Instagram, and you might, you know, there's, so there's, all kinds of ways for us to be efficient and effective in how we speak. But, you know, we do so much and it's really telling the story because we're sort of the 360 degree uh, view of breast cancer because we do research, which is incredibly important. We work in community because we don't believe where you live or what color you are should depict whether you live. And then we also do advocacy. We have a big advocacy arm because um, you know, we, we work with state and, and federal legislation on women's health. We, we've had nine Komen-led state bills that have passed in the last 10, um, in the last year. And that, you know, there's a lot of power with women in pink with pitchforks. So it's really, you know, what are you interested in, right? Because if we're, if we're doing a compelling job marketing all of the, the wonderful things that Komen does, then we will hit on things that are interested that where there are interested parties, right? 
if people care about healthcare and people care about women, then you know we should be top of mind. And, and so, as a potential donor, and, and as you talk to potential donors, uh, and obviously, I can direct my dollars to particular aspects of where you're um, spending money. Um, mm-hmm. If I give just a general donation, give us a perspective on where those dollars are going to help people, either with education or once they've been, you know, diagnosed. Where, where, where is the distribution go? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because when you look at the 990s and you see education, right, and everybody says, well, what is education? I don't want to spend money on education. Don't people know about breast cancer? It's not, it doesn't mean that we're like saying, oh, there's breast cancer and it exists, okay? You know, no, that isn't education. So, you know, that, of course, that is education, but that's not what we do. When we're talking about also um, our, our treatment assistance programs that help people in the community, if you have breast cancer and you can't afford to stay in treatment because you can't afford your food on the table or you're making a decision whether it's between your co-pays. Um, you know, there, there's a whole community presence that we have. We have, a, we have our, our helplines that we support. We have our treatment assistance programs that we support. If you, if you qualify, which, you know, it's, it's essentially how much money you, you make, right? Because we want to help those that are truly in need to stay in treatment or you may not make it through. So, we, we pay for if somebody needs help with babysitting or, you know, there's a stipend that you get every month and you, that helps to help you get through this. So there's the community help that we do, which is helping people today, whether they need more food on their table or whatever it might be to stay in, in treatment. Now you've got thousands and millions of people that are out of work, right? So we help people when they need help with, with staying in treatment or getting to the treatment that they can. And then the, the next part of it is research because nothing's gonna cure cancer other than research, right? Well, I always say cash cures cancer, right? When people ask me what cures cancer, really the truth is cash cures cancer because if you, if you don't have the money to pay for the research, there will be no breakthroughs. It's even more crucial now because we're in a position where um, there's so much money that is, has been diverted to COVID, which is you know a good thing, right? Because we wanna make sure that people are um, safe from, from COVID as well. But research has, has slowed down dramatically. A lot of um, research labs have been shut. And I don't know when or if they're going to be started back up again, right? But if we don't continue with the research, we will not continue with the breakthroughs, we will not continue to improve treatment, and we will not be able to save more lives. So it's super important that we continue with research. And then, as I said, then there's the advocacy side. So. It's sort of a three-degree view. Right. I was going to ask you about you know COVID and how that's potentially impacted you know the organization revenues that you've you know have taken in donations you've taken in. Have you seen less donation during this period of COVID? Sure. I mean, you know, I think almost every charitable organization has right, and and when you have this this kind of mass problem um, with the economy. And with people staying in work and people, the fear is there, right? Um, you know, the, the donations are doubly appreciated and doubly needed. Uh, we, we do have uh, runs and walks, right? We have about hundreds of runs and walks and peer-to-peer fundraising. You know, we've been doing, we've been at that for many years, in fact, created it um, to a certain extent. And, and that is um, dramatically impacted. We are doing virtual versions of that, but it is impacted. 
Um, and people, you know, really like to get together and do that. But I can't tell you when the next time that they'll feel comfortable with 5,000 of their closest friends, you know. So we, we are diversifying fundraising and, and working on lots of different opportunities for us. Uh, we've been doing that over the last three years of my tenure here. So we have made a lot of inroads, which are really helpful now um, during this, this time frame, because who knows? When this started back in you know February, March, and everyone sort of put laid their bets on when it was going to be over and when life would get back to normal, there's going to be before COVID and after COVID. And we're, this is going to be studied in, in textbooks for the next decades. I mean, you, you know, people talk about the 1918 flu. <laughs> it's 100 years ago, you know. So we'll see. And, and uh, we, we've talked about ways to uh, contribute dollars. What kind of opportunities are available for people to volunteer through your organization to uh, to help people? Yeah, you can go on Komen.org and, and there's there's all kinds. It depends on what you want to volunteer doing, right? Because when we had runs and walks, then of course we needed a boatload of volunteers to help us with that. Um, there's now advocacy if you want to get involved in public policy and advocacy to help uh, get some of these and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you an idea. Like there's oral parity, right? And this sounds, from somebody not coming in from the medical world, I have no scientific background. You know, I'm a fashion girl, but just listen to the, to the stupidity of this. You have new chemotherapies that are oral as opposed to going into an infusion and having to sit there for three, four, five hours in a, in a doctor's office and getting a, you know, a needle in your arm and getting an infusion you have similar chemotherapies that are oral that are, allow you to stay home, not have to go to the doctor's office and take a pill, okay? Who would not wanna be able to do that? But they fall into two different sides of the payer world, right? One falls into prescriptions and the other falls into treatment. And a lot of times oral chemotherapy is not covered like in, infusion chemotherapy, right? Okay, let's change the law, people. Right, because that, that is unacceptable. And we have a lot of support. So there's things like that that happen in this world, the medical world, that don't happen in, in the regular business world. You know, because right. it just doesn't make any sense. So yep. we keep programs in place that are safety net programs for women that cannot afford to get um, mammograms. And these have been in place for years and they're at risk of not being in place. And, and if they aren't in place, then you're gonna have just an influx of people that will not get mammograms and, and will find that they have cancer and it has spread. And, you know, and that isn't the right thing either because then the health systems are gonna be taxed with that. So again, it makes sense. So let's do the right thing. So you certainly can volunteer. There's multitudes of ways that you can volunteer. Go on the site. You can um, contact the, the local affiliates, which we're working together now to make into one um, single entity. But there's there's lots of ways you, for you to participate. So you know we mentioned at the beginning October is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh -huh. um, obviously, uh, breast cancer and the work that you guys do happens all 12 months of the year. But what is it about you know the month of October that we're coming up with? Um, what will you be doing differently with the organization? Just give us some perspective on that. Yeah, I mean October is our time to shine. Right, because you know, and, and this is funny because 38 years ago is when October was sort of became National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone that didn't notice that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. 
So we have fabulous corporate partners, many, many, many um, corporate partners that are helping us to highlight this. We have Live Pink, which are all of our corporate partners. If you go on our site, Coleman.org, you, you can shop um, for all of our partners and there's a percentage that comes through to us. There's um, pin pads where if people ask you at the end of, you know, you're getting your groceries or what may not be to, to round up or to, um, would you give to, to Susan G. Komen? I hope you say yes. Um, we have lots of uh, marketing uh, avenues that we're, we're, we're starting with our brand campaign, um, which is our national campaign moments this year, which is called Moments, right? And these are the, the real meaningful moments. We have um, a song that's coming out, which is really exciting. And so we'll be doing a launch around that. Um, and it's when pink was only a color. Uh, you know, it's a really beautiful song. And this was a collaboration that started a couple of months ago and it's gone like gangbusters. So we're thankful that, you know, we have people that are willing to, to help us with that. Um, and you know, lots of creative ways. And then there's all kinds of do-it-yourself opportunities to raise money during the month of October as well. And, you know, we help with that on our site. That's great. So as we end the, uh, the show here, Paul, what would you like to say to uh, listeners either that have been afflicted with breast cancer um, or have a loved one that is, is dealing with it? Uh, what kind of guidance would you like to leave them with here? That there's hope, right? And because of organizations like Common, there, there's going to continue to be breakthroughs. I will also say the velocity of what has happened um, from drugs that are coming out right now to help with breast cancer, and especially in the metastatic space, are are pretty voluminous. Um, you know, whereas like five, six years ago, there might have been a drug that came out every one or two years for a lot of the, the pharma groups. Now they the capacities are bigger, the information is more. There's there's so many exciting things that are happening in breast cancer treatment. So you got to have hope. Um, even if you have, are um, living with metastatic breast cancer, there's still lots and lots of treatments that happen that can help you to live for decades. So become your biggest health advocate. Um, find out ways. Call our helpline. You know, we can talk to you about clinical trials that are happening. Sometimes it's hard to accrue enough people for clinical trials, but that's how, that's how new results happen. And it may be a lifeline. Um, you know, another as aspect of that is that COVID has stopped some of the clinical trials. Uh, we're trying to get more of those back online right now because, you know, it's some people's only lifeline. So, so have hope, have faith that this will get better and, and help us get there. Thank you. Those are uh, great words. Uh, keep up the uh, the great work that you and your organization are doing. I'm glad that you're well. Uh, it's very nice to to see you again and um, I wish you and your family uh, all the good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me, Mark. Really nice to see you too. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Paula Schneider for coming on the marketing playbook. I'm calling an audible today. And rather than my normal three key takeaways, I've only one today. Early detection on breast cancer is critical. Please get your mammograms as per the direction of your physician. And for the guys out there, breast cancer can get us too. So if you feel something, please speak with your doctor. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Yeah.